Good morning. Uh, so good to uh, worship uh, today, Sunday. Uh, my name is Peter, and I serve here as a pastoral intern, and I have the amazing privilege of preaching God's Word this morning. And uh, I'll be preaching from the Gospel of John, so if you have your Bibles, please turn to chapter 11. We'll be reading verses 1 through 6, and then skipping to verse 30 through 44. And uh, we'll be reading about our hope in our hurt. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now verse 30, Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Someone once said that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. I think what this person is uh, trying to say is that hardship in life is guaranteed, but it's really up to each person to just get through it. But the more you live, the more you realize that uh, life gets really hard sometimes. It just gets so hard that it, it takes more than just getting through it. When pain becomes unbearable, suffering doesn't seem so optional. We get lost in confusion, crushed in disappointment. Our anger spirals us out of control. Determination alone isn't enough to help us when things get really hard. We need something else. We need something more. There are many of us that are experiencing real hurt, and what we need is real hope. And we need hope to keep us from giving up and to help us get up and fight and keep going. So where can we find this hope that every one of us need, especially when life gets really hard? 
We read in the Gospel of John what Jesus showed some of his closest friends when life got really hard for them. And our story tells us that no matter the hurts we experience, the Gospel gives us real hope that provides real help. As we go through our passage, I want to draw our attention to three places where we can find hope. And the first place is that we have hope above our hurt. And we know we have hope above our hurt because we see in our story that Jesus waits. And what I mean uh, by hope above our hurt is that God is sovereign over our hurt, above our hurt, and therein lies our hope. performs, miracles that he performs, and these signs show that Jesus is more than a prophet or teacher, that he's actually God himself. And uh, we see Jesus arrive in Bethany to perform this final sign because in verse 3, Mary and Martha send Jesus a desperate message. Lord, the one you love is sick. And so as his friends were facing probably one of the most painful hardships of their lives as their brother lay on his deathbed, Their hope was that Jesus would come and heal their sick brother. But verse 6 tells us that Jesus waits. Waiting isn't something you'd expect a friend to do when you ask them for an urgent favor. And so as we read the story, we're all waiting to see Jesus rush to be at the side of their friends. But instead, Jesus is the one that waits. He doesn't rush to Bethany. He waits two days right where he was. And because he waited, Lazarus seemingly died. In verse 32, after Jesus arrives, uh, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Their hope was that Jesus would heal their brother, but instead, Jesus waits and their brother dies. So why does Jesus wait? Jesus waits because he's above all our hurts. In other words, because Jesus is God, Jesus is sovereign. And Jesus is sovereign over all things, including our suffering. When he hears that his dear, sick, uh, dear friend is sick, he doesn't frantically rush off. He unhurriedly waits because nothing happens apart from the sovereign will of God. He shares in verse 4 that this is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. No hurt, no trouble exists in your life apart from God's sovereign plan and for his ultimate glory. There's no pain we experience, no suffering we go through, no trouble that occurs that surprises our sovereign God. God is above our hurt, and this gives us incredible hope. Now, this year has been a pretty bad year for, for many of us, but if you can imagine it, last year was an even worse year for a friend of mine and his family. One day early last year, my friend accidentally fell three stories off his balcony. Um, he ended up with a fractured hip, fractured wrist, bruises and contusions everywhere. And so during his rehab, he actually moved in with his sister who also lived with her parents. And uh, months later, one day, her townhome burned down. And it wasn't just her townhome, it was the entire set, entire block of townhomes burned down. And what's even worse is that all the insurance companies ganged up and blamed it on him. And almost a year later, they're still going through litigation. 
Not only that, months later, during the winter, just before COVID-19 happened, um, his father, who was working at a gas station, he was fixing a, a kerosene heater. It literally blew up in his face, suffered third-degree burns everywhere. His family experienced one horrific catastrophe after another. But here's what's so incredible and so amazing. Before all this happened, the only Christian in the family was the mother of my friend. But when I visited my friend in the hospital just after his fall, he shared with me that as he lay hurting in this hospital bed with nothing to do, his eyes opened up to the brevity of life the reality of God, the gravity of his sins, and the grace of God in the gospel. And the gospel became real to him. During his stay in the hospital, he started reading the Bible on his own, and in that hospital room, he gave his life to Christ. And soon after he got out of the hospital, he joined a local church. But here's what's even more amazing. He started taking his sister to church and the gospel became real to his sister. And then he started taking his parents to church, and the gospel became real to his father. To the world, all these crazy catastrophes could be chalked up to random accidents or mere misfortune. But God was sovereignly up to something astounding and incredible. We have real hope above our hurt because we have a God who is sovereign over it all. And this matters in at least a couple different ways. First, this means that we can trust God. And hopefully none of us ever fall from a third-story balcony or our home burned down. But it's guaranteed that all of us will experience various kinds of hurts and hardships as you live your lives. In fact, some of you are suffering now. Some of you are single and suffering loneliness. Others of you are married and you hate your spouse. Some of you have serious health conditions. Whether it's financial difficulties or rebellious children, not getting to the college you wanted, or even the loss of a loved one, all of us experience hardship and difficulty. And sometimes God seems to do things that just don't make any sense. Family members die without ever trusting in God. Parents bury their children. We lose our jobs. We lose our spouses. We lose our friends. And there's nothing good that seems to come out of any of it. But even through the hardest moments of life where we might not understand, we can trust that God is sovereign and that he's up to something so astounding and so incredible in your life and in the world. God is perfectly sovereign and nothing happens apart from his sovereign purpose. The Bible says that, that uh, no difficulty we go through results from random accidents or mere misfortune. Proverbs 16.33 says that the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. If the flip of a coin is part of God's sovereign plan, for you, part of God's sovereign plan, then the blessings you enjoy and even the sufferings that you experience are part of God's sovereign plan for you as well. God is in control of each and every hurt, and he providentially places them in your lives. 
but Romans 8 tells us that for those who love God, all things work together for our good. No matter the troubles, we can trust that God is always working for his glory and for our good. Second, we can rest as we do our best. God's sovereignty doesn't mean that we just let go and let God, right? We can, we can and should make every effort. We should pray and plan and prepare and make wise choices. If Mary and Martha never sent word to Jesus, if they never prayed, Lazarus would have never been raised. God's sovereignty doesn't exclude our effort. Rather, God sovereignly works through our effort. So we should put in our best effort as we work through our hardships. We should have well thought out plans. We should get second and third opinions. We should try to repair our marriage and relationships. We should pray for salvation and for healing. We can and should do the best we can with the wisdom we have and the means God's given us. But as we do, we can rest. We can relax because God is sovereign, sovereignly sitting on his throne. And because of that, we cannot ultimately mess up. We never have to be haunted with regret because it's impossible to fail. It's impossible to mess it up because God has always been, is, and will always be in complete control. God is working all things including the hard and hurtful things for our good and his glory. So rest, relax, sleep well. We can do this because we have a hope above our hurt. Second, we have hope in our hurt. Our story shows us that Jesus identifies with our hurts in a couple different ways, and it points us to why we can find hope in our hurt. First, Jesus hurts with us. He hurts with us. And we know Jesus hurts with us because our story tells us that Jesus weeps. After Jesus arrives, he sees all the hurt that Lazarus' family and friends were suffering around him. And verse 33 says, Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. And then he arrives at the tomb. And verse 35 tells us that Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse of the Bible and it's about Jesus hurting. The word John uses here is only used once in the entire New Testament. So unlike Mary, who may have been quietly sobbing, or the Jews, who, who may have been weeping, this word describes Jesus bursting into tears. Imagine the, the second person of the Trinity bursting into tears. So why is Jesus crying? If Jesus is sovereign, doesn't he know that Lazarus will soon rise? Of course he knows. He's God. He's there in order to, to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus isn't sad for his friends. He knows they're going to get their brother back. But he's sad with his friends. He hurts along with them. If you've read the Gospels, you would know that Jesus was a man of sorrows. And throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus show so much more sadness than he does laughter. We see Jesus in agony and distress and lament over and over and over again. 
And this is because Jesus is full of compassion. And because of his compassionate love for us, God makes himself vulnerable and open to our suffering. Jesus suffers with us. And here's why that's important. Isn't it true that the more you love someone, the more their pain becomes your pain? Think about it. Think about if uh, someone you don't know, a random stranger, gets in a car accident and gets seriously hurt. Do you care? You should care, but you probably don't. I don't even bat an eye, (laughs) just being honest. But if it's someone I love, like my wife or my children, they get seriously hurt in a car accident, I'm devastated. I rush to be by their side. I drop everything, and as I see them hurting, I'm hurting. Their pain becomes my pain. So because God loves us, our hurts actually hurt him. Because the more you love someone, the more you're you're, uh, hurt when they're hurt. And because God infinitely loves us, can you imagine how much he hurts when you hurt? Friends, what this means is that you are never truly alone. You not only have a friend who understands, but you have a father who deeply feels what you feel and cares for you like nobody else can. God wraps his heart so closely around yours that he feels every pain that you feel. Some of you who are watching today may be going through a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. It hurts thinking. It hurts feeling. It hurts waking up each morning. I'm sure there are many of you who are watching that might be wrestling with anxiety. You're filled with anxiety as you think about COVID-19 and the reopening and reclosing and reopening of schools and the rest of our country. You're filled with anxiety as you think about the health and safety of your children, your elderly parents, and even yourselves. You're filled with anxiety as you think about the unknown, the economy, your, your financial situation, and even the racial unrest going on. The anxiety is constant. It's overwhelming. It hurts being this anxious. Others of you are hurting from relationship issues. You don't feel heard, appreciated, trusted. Maybe some of you are hurting with depression and you feel hopeless worthless, isolated. Whatever pain you have and whatever hurts you may be going through, our story points us to a God who doesn't stay high up above, but he comes all the way down and he humbly enters into our hurt. God sees your every suffering. He cares for your every pain. He weeps as you weep and he hurts as you hurt. Friends, in your suffering and in your pain, in your hurt, God really is with you. He's with you like nobody else can. He understands your fears. He sees your frustrations. He feels your anger. He hears your pain, and he hurts along with you. God is absolutely sovereign, but he suffers with you because he loves you. And a sovereign God who also suffers is a kind of God worth trusting. This kind of God is worth putting your hope and faith and your entire life in. How amazing is it that Jesus hurts with us? But we also see that Jesus hurts for us. 
And we see this because before Jesus weeps, we read that Jesus wails. Verse 33 tells us that Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, and he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The words deeply moved, deeply moved is actually a, a single word, and um, it's a lot stronger than what we hear in our translation. The word means to loudly wail in anger. So before Jesus cries tears of sadness, he's literally fuming in anger. And it's a little bizarre. Imagine attending a funeral and seeing someone absolutely furious. It'd be a little strange. So why is Jesus so angry? Is he angry at the unbelief of, of, of the crowd because they're crying? Is he angry at, uh, at, at the friends and family who are grieving over Lazarus' death? No. He wasn't angry at the sisters and guests grieving Lazarus' death. He was angry at death itself. He was angry at the source of death. He was angry at the one who has the power of death. Because of Satan, sin exists. And because of sin, suffering exists. All the suffering you experience is a direct or indirect consequence of somebody's sin. The sin might be yours, or it might not. It might be somebody else's. It might even be the collective sins of an entire people. And ultimately, the original sin of Adam. So it's because of sin that we experience suffering, and we experience all kinds of suffering because of sin. We experience physical suffering, psychological, emotional, relational, and even racial suffering. And the source of all this suffering is sin. And this is why Jesus came. In fact, if you read ahead, you realize that this chapter is actually the, the, the turning point of the entire Gospel of John. From this point on, the, the author's entire focus becomes Jesus' arrest, crucifixion, and death. Because moments after this, we see Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem to finish what he came to do. Because of his love and care for us, because he sees our suffering, he came to destroy the ultimate source of suffering. He came to hurt the things that were hurting us. And the only way God could ultimately and finally hurt Satan, suffering, and the hurt in our hearts without hurting us is by getting hurt himself on our behalf. God the Son came from heaven to earth. He emptied himself, put on human flesh, lived among sinful people, and to destroy our sins and to defeat evil, our greatest enemy, he went to the cross and he took our hurt. On the cross, Jesus took sin's curse and God's wrath against your sin, the source of all our suffering, and he got what you deserved by suffering for your sins so that you wouldn't have to. Because he loves you. Simply because he loves you. Friends, there's no greater love than this, that God loves us so much that he would take your sins and your sorrows and make them his very own so that you could be his very own. God loves you so much that he would take your hurt and the source of all your hurt by being hurt on your behalf. There's nothing better than this kind of love. And he invites you, he invites us to believe this, to trust this, to hope in this. Because in the gospel, we have hope in our hurt. 
Lastly, our story tells us that we have hope at the end of our hurt. As Christians, we have hope at the end of our hurts, and we get a hint of this in our passage when when it tells us that Jesus wakes. He wakes Lazarus from death, doesn't he? He approaches the tomb, he takes away the stone, and verse uh, verse 43 tells us that Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. You see, what Jesus did for his friends tells us that we have hope at the end of our hurt because Jesus didn't go to Bethany to bring mere consolation. He went to Bethany to bring restoration. Our story shows us how God is going to deal with sin and all our suffering and all the world's evils because the resurrection of Lazarus is a foreshadow of the resurrection of our Savior and ultimately our own resurrection. With the resurrection of Jesus, sin has been defeated and a new age has dawned. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And this is what the reversal of the fall will be and what we can now look forward to with hope. Many of us have questions uh, that may never get answered on this side of eternity when it comes to the hurts we experience. Scripture directs us to the hope that one day we will get a final answer. You see, Mary and Martha, to their joy, were reunited to their brother Lazarus. But Lazarus would one day die again. And so would they. But they got a taste of what's to come. One day, God is going to renew and restore everything we suffered and all that was taken away. He's going to make all things wrong right again. He's going to make all things sad untrue. That is our great hope. 19th century Russian author Dostoevsky said it best when he wrote this about our great Christian hope. He says, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that they've shed, that it will not only be possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. We can't see the full picture by looking at one piece of the puzzle. But in the new heavens and the new earth, all the pieces will finally fit together because he's going to renew and restore all things, and it's going to be beautiful. And we'll see this beautiful picture God has been sovereignly and graciously putting together one by one in our lives throughout history. And even though we don't comprehend everything now, all our questions will one day be answered when we see God's complete and glorious purpose revealed. And when we see God's glorious purposes put together, despite all the hurts that we've experienced and sufferings we've endured, the end will justify it all. Negro spirituals were spiritual songs created by African slaves during the slave trade. They sang these songs because it gave them hope in the midst of their hurt, in the midst of their suffering. And uh, one of the songs that they actually adopted as one of their own is a well-known hymn, Amazing Grace. What's ironic is that the song they adopted uh, was uh, written by John Newton. 
Uh, he was an Anglican uh, priest. But it's ironic because Newton, before he was in the business of preaching the gospel, he was in the business of, slating, uh, of trading slaves. Under John Newton's watch, people were kidnapped from their homes, their countries, treated as cattle, and sold for profit. On his slave ships, women chained down were raped. Men who tried to escape were tormented. Hundreds of them were cramped in iron cages, sitting in their feces, breathing in toxic air for weeks at a time, and then sold off and sent out to a lifetime of suffering. But these slaves who were kidnapped, oppressed, abused, and sold into slavery sang because they found hope in the gospel. The gospel was good news to them because it promised them a new heavens and a new earth. You see, when your life is literally like hell on earth, heaven seems utterly precious. And these slaves found hope in the gospel because the gospel promised them that all the longings of their heart for uh, freedom and dignity would one day be fulfilled. And even though life might feel like hell on earth now, one day they would get a new life and live in a new heaven and a new earth forever. And as brutalized as their bodies may have been at the hands of their slave masters, one day they'd be given new and glorious bodies that will never be beaten or ever die again. The enduring hope and faith of our black brothers and sisters are stirring and powerful, and it's really extraordinary as you see them choose forgiveness instead of hate. And it's remarkable that, that, uh, that they could sing as they suffered all this pain and torture. It's humbling that despite the gross injustices done to them, that they saw their own guilt and their need for God's grace. Unless you have hope that this world isn't all that there is, singing doesn't make any sense. Church, the Christian faith is the only faith that allows you to sing in the midst of our suffering because we have a hope that at the end of it all, God is going to restore all that we ever lost. God promises that one day he's going to renew and restore all things, if not in this life, then in the next life. Every pain, every suffering, every hurt you go through, none of it, not a single one, will have been a waste. God is carving away one piece at a time, a puzzle piece that will beautifully fit together into his glorious purposes. This resurrection hope was central to the early church. And this was one of the main motivations for Christians throughout the centuries as they gave their lives. This is how African slaves and civil rights leaders endured through systemic injustice. And this is what gives you hope no matter what you're going through. You have a God who loves you and, never, and, and will never forget you or abandon you. You have a Savior who sits sovereign on his throne in complete control, but he also hurts with you and for you. And one day he's returning for you, and he's going to make all things new. And because of this, you have a hope that allows you to sing with every hurting believer, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Through every toil and and dangerous toils and snares I have already come, tis grace that brought me safe thus far, tis grace will bring me home. 
friends, whether you're hurting or not, this really is the greatest news we have and the most important hope that we can cling to. So because you have Christ as your solid rock and unshakable hope, would you sing this, pray this, believe this, share this, and live this out this week? Amen. Let's pray. God, would, would our hurts, would our suffering, would our pain draw us closer to our sovereign and suffering Savior? Because you not only want what's best for us, but out of your love and care, you really are working out all things, including the hard things, for your glory, but also for our eternal good. Increase our faith and love and our hope in Christ. And it's in his marvelous name we pray. Amen.